the ideal morning routine is whatever makes you excited to get up and do it. Uh-huh. It should really be about pleasure. When people have these ideas of like long morning routines that are, you know, really tough and difficult, I mean, maybe you'll do it, but eventually your bed is going to seem a lot more attractive than some sort of punishment in the in the morning. Like you want to it'd be great if you can feel like a kid on Christmas morning, right? Like no kid is like, <laughs> oh, I don't want to get up on Christmas morning. They're like, oh, I'm so excited. And so if you have a morning routine, that's something you genuinely enjoy that can nudge you to to get out of bed. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks Come from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt everyone, welcome to the show. Matt Labrie here, your host of the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Decoding Success. And on today's episode, we're going to be helping you take back your life by taking control of your time. To do so, we are joined by an incredible individual, our friend, Laura Vandekam, the author of several time management and productivity books, my favorite being What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast. Now, her work has appeared in so many publications, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Fortune, just to name a few. On top of all of that, she is the podcast host of Before Breakfast and the co-host of Best of Both Worlds. Now, with that said, if you have ever had the Sunday scaries, I want you to know you're in the right place because we're going to be talking about how to alleviate that. Now, we're also going to be talking about how to schedule and prioritize what truly matters, what will effectively get you to your goals faster. Also, hacks to be productive and still find time to you know, scroll on the phone, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, wherever, binge watch your favorite shows or whatever it is that really amps you up. We're diving into all of that and so much more. We're super excited to have you here. If you're ready to take control of your life by taking control of your time, take back your life, this is the episode for you. Now, with that said, there's probably someone in your life that really needs to hear this. So I'm gonna urge you to make sure that you're sharing it with the people in your life, whether it be your coworkers, your friends, word of mouth, whomever you may be talking to in the coffee shop you're listening to this at. We really appreciate you sharing this because it helps us make an impact through you. And that is a beautiful thing where you could be the beacon of light in someone else's life. And without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Laura Vanderkam. Laura, welcome to Decoding Success. Really excited to have you here. Your body of work is incredible to say the absolute least. A ton of questions about what you're putting out into the world. So I'm excited to dive into this, but thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, 200 and I don't know, 57 episodes into this, I realized that I need to start the podcast differently. And I did it last time we recorded, but I want to ask you, how are you doing? I know that you're you're putting out work into the world, Tranquility by Tuesday, out, like insane stuff. It's incredible. Like, how are you doing? Like, what's going on? Life is good. You know, life's always a complex and occasionally chaotic beast, but, uh, you know, it's a circus, <laughs> but I kind of enjoy the circus. So having a really fun launch week, uh, enjoying sharing Tranquility by Tuesday with the world. Well, talk Talk to me about when you noticed it was a beast and how you started to tame the beast. <laughs> well, you know, I think for many of us, life reveals its beastiness to us, whether we want it to or not. But no, I think, you know, as the number of moving parts in one's life gets more and more. So, you know, as I've had more kids, for instance, as I've taken on more projects, written more books, started doing more speaking, more podcasts, you just, you know, you have to keep all the pieces moving along, make sure all the trains are running on time and not going off the rails. You know, so I realized at some point that you can't just rely on 
winging it. Like you have to have some strategies that will allow you to approach life more systematically, you know, times where you think through what needs to happen, you know, strategies for planning out when exactly those things will happen, uh, ways you will deal with any problems that come up. And so, you know, I write a lot about these strategies for other folks, you know, that they mm. might find them useful as well. Now, one thing that I'm really curious about, you mentioned, you know, keeping the trains chugging on the track. I'm just curious when a train does fall off the track, because that is human and that does happen. What's your advice to someone listening to this to make sure that it's just like, all right, you know, you're not just going to give up on that train. And the reason I'm asking this is because I'm notorious for that. So I'm just curious, like, how do you keep or how do you get that train back moving the way it's supposed to be moving? Well, one thing we need to do is build our schedules such that when they do go off the rails, it's not a disaster for everything else. So, you know, mm -hmm. one train going off the rails is what it is, right? The problem is if it's supposed to meet up with another train at a specific time and there's no give in the schedule. And so when it's not there, the other train is now not going where it's supposed to be going. And this sets off an entire chain reaction. I mean, we got a big metaphor here. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that if you expect your life to go perfectly, you are going to be in a rough patch very, very quickly because I don't yeah. know any one for whom life always goes exactly as planned. I mean, maybe if you don't work with anyone else, maybe if you have no one else in your life, like, you know, then maybe you can control absolutely everything. But even then, you know, you can wind up with like a flooded basement or something. So it's, it's just life happens. And rather than getting frustrated about that fact, we are better off building schedules that allow for life to happen. You know, one of my biggest time management tips for anyone is just to build in more open space, mm. right? Because if you are booked absolutely solid every single minute, then you have no space for anything to go awry. And you also don't have any space for new opportunities to come to you. And the idea that you would know absolutely everything that you might want to do in a given week before the week starts is, is just sort of comical. So, you know, right. the more space we have, we can make progress on our goals leave open space that allows us to deal with things that go wrong. So this is a perfect integration area for the book, Tranquility by Tuesday, right? And I think that's what's going to happen throughout this episode is just finding, you know, things that you say and seeing what you've written in this book. Although I'm not finished with it, I do believe I got up to the part where you mentioned to have a backup plan. And I forget what rule that is. I believe it's six. Don't quote me on number that. Number five. Rule number it's, five. I was close. I was close. <laughs> but I actually really love that because, well, first of all, it's not something I've ever done, right? I, I did exactly what you just said. Kind of overbook yourself so like you feel like you're super productive. You have podcast after podcast or meeting after meeting, lunch meeting, whatever it may be. And you're just jammed and have no wiggle room. And then it's like, shit. And then that thing doesn't happen the next day because you're booked and busy again and again and again. That area of the book I really love. I'm just curious, when did that maybe personally or through research, when did you realize that's crucial? Well, as I talk to people and as the, you know, I, people share their schedules with me, they ask for advice. And I would see that, especially as the number of moving parts in people's lives went up, just how critical it was to have space for something to go wrong. Like, you know, if you only have one thing going on, like it may go right or it may go wrong, but that is what it is. You know, if you've got 20 things going on, the odds that one of them doesn't go exactly as planned is just, you know, it, it's almost certain. That's going to yeah. happen. We have to expect the unexpected. But but yeah, I think a lot of people have that same story you had in your head, right? That the busier I am, the better. 
right? Like the, you know, if I'm booked solid, that means my time is in high demand, especially people who are entrepreneurs. You know, you want to, you don't want to leave the time on the table that you could have been making a sale, that you could have been networking with someone. And so instead of having it seen as this like opportunity cost of, oh, if I leave open time, I could have been making a sale. It's like, there may be some client out there that you don't even know. Like they're not on your radar, but they're about to get introduced to you this week and they want to meet with you. Where are mm -hmm. you going to put that? Right. And if you have something every single minute, you've got no spot. You've got no spot. You either have to bump somebody else or you have to push them to the next week or month or whatever it is that you've got an open time, which is, you know, generally not a great idea if you truly want to do business together. So it's not just about, you know, not wanting to run late to things. It's also about being able to seize opportunity. And I've even and I've, found. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, well, just know that if you have more open space, you're more open to opportunity. Like, I, I feel like right. people can sense that. Like, if you're book solid, you got the, kind of got this, like, don't talk to me wall going on, you know, because you don't have space for it. So like, you're not open to it. Like people want to have a little longer conversation, you know, those conversations where it's like, it could lead to something. It might not. You're not having that conversation. You got somewhere to be. <laughs> Absolutely. So. The thing that comes to mind is how much overwhelm that potentially alleviates. Overwhelm, anxiety, stress. I'm curious. Yeah. And, and the analogy I use is often with money. So having mm. no space in your schedule is the equivalent of living paycheck to paycheck, mm. right? Like the time you are getting in is the time of going out. There's no margin for error in that. Whereas if you have open space, it's like having a nice big fat emergency fund, right? So that when something comes up, hey, we have the ability to deal with it. You know, it's like you, you burn dinner, you call for pizza, you drop your phone, you get a new one. Like, you know, we've, we've solved the problem, right? And that's what money enables. And it is what having extra time enables to. And, and, you know, I went for a Tranquility by Tuesday. I mean, just to back up, I had 150 busy people try out nine of my favorite time management rules for nine weeks. And this idea of building in more open space, creating backup slots for things was one of the rules. And when people did it, like some of the responses I got were just hilarious. Like people saying like, I felt too relaxed. <laughs> that, was, that was an actual answer. Like, I guess, you know, I was productive though. So it seems like I got to everything. I guess I hadn't realized how close to the edge I was living. And I think that, you know, people do the same thing with finances. Like when they first get an emergency fund, they're like, oh, wait, you know, that's what it feels like to not be constantly anxious and on edge. It's, it's kind of a good feeling to explore. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm curious, we're talking about, you know, scheduling for the unknown and making sure that we have space for that. I'm really curious to talk about the flip side of it, right? Where we have too much open time on our calendars because I've been there too. And then all of a sudden nothing gets done because it's like, oh, you know, it's 12, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard. One of my favorite shows just released on Apple TV last night. I have nothing to do right now. Let me go watch that, right? I'm curious. And I know that you talk about planning, but what's your take with the too much open space? Yeah, that can happen too. One of the best things, you know, for people who do all of a sudden have open time for whatever reason it may be, I've, you know, worked with people who are newly retired or who are taking a sabbatical mm. from their jobs or, you know, are in a slow patch, maybe they're between jobs. And, you know, you, you sort of do assume you'll get something else eventually, but it's like, well, what do I do with my time now? And, you know, I think it, in these situations, it really helps to first ask the question about what you want to do with your time. I mean, one of the reasons we sort of go through the various channels on Netflix or in a television or whatever. It's like, we don't know. We don't know what we want to do with our time. We haven't thought about it. So like, make yourself a long list, like anything you might want to spend your time doing. And then one of my Tranquility by Tuesday rules is to plan on Fridays. So mm. take some time on Friday, think about the upcoming week, 
put in a couple things that you would like to do. You know, you got this long list. Say, well, what are maybe two or three things that I would like to try from my list over the course of the week? And where could I put those? And then, you know, figure out if there's anything else that you have to do in the course of this time. But if you have a time for the things you have to do and you have a couple of fun things scheduled in that you want to do, then time can feel good and you know kind of relax the rest of it. You don't have to worry about what you're doing. You know you are doing enough to make yourself feel productive and that you're looking forward to time and not feeling like you're totally wasting it. Yeah. So I know, I know you're getting this question during your podcast tour right now about why planning on Friday is important. And I have to ask it. I, I know it might be cliche to you at this point, but I have to ask that. But furthermore, what I'm going to add to that question is being that our show has an audience of people that are high performers, right? People that either own their own business or in corporate America have a side hustle. They're creators planning on Friday to me at least, makes me want to do it on Saturday and Sunday. And that leaves less leisure time. So I'm curious, why plan on Friday? And how can you integrate, I guess, some sort of discipline to make sure that you're using that plan for when the time is right? Yeah. So, I mean, this rule to plan on Friday really encompasses two things. I mean, the first and the most important aspect is to plan. Right. I think everybody needs a designated weekly planning time where you look at your upcoming week, look at the whole week, Ask yourself what is most important in your career? What is most important for your relationships? What is most important for yourself? Where can those things go? What else do you need to do? Do you have a plan to deal with those things? Do you need to solve any logistical problems? Do you have stuff you are looking forward to, right? Like we wanna look at the whole week, make sure we can answer those questions appropriately. But why Friday? Well, Friday, if you work a Monday through Friday sort of job, Friday and particularly Friday afternoon is what an economist would call a low opportunity cost time. Most of us are not sitting there on Friday afternoon saying, I am excited to make progress on my personal and professional priorities right now. You are sliding into the weekend by Friday afternoon. You are not wanting to start anything new, but you might be willing to think about what future you should be doing. Right. And so by planning on Friday afternoons, we can turn what might be wasted time into some of our most productive minutes of the week. It allows you to use all of Monday. Like when people plan on Mondays, you know, which is another popular time, people get to work Monday morning and plan what they're going to do. You can't really get started on a lot of that stuff till Monday afternoon or maybe even Tuesday. Like you need to meet with someone. When are you going to schedule that meeting? Well, it's not going to be Monday at 10 if you're doing this on Monday at nine. So like you don't even get to use all of your Monday. And if you you know, slide into the weekend on Friday, like we've got a much shorter work week. Like, you know, we want to be able to use Monday. So if you plan on Friday, you can. But the reason Friday versus say Sunday, which is another popular time for weekly planning, I find that, you know, even, you know, entrepreneurs, people who love their jobs, like you're chosen to do this. You didn't have to do it, but you chose to do this. Like we can still feel a little bit of trepidation on Sunday mm -hmm. afternoons and, and these Sunday scaries or whatever you want to call them. Often what it is, is anxiety about what is waiting for you on Monday morning. Like, you know, you got a ton of stuff. You know, you got to deal with all of it, but you don't have a plan for doing so. But if you end Friday with a plan for how you will do the stuff that is going to hit in the next week, well, you can relax. You can actually enjoy some leisure time over the weekend instead of having that trepidation going all through to Sunday night. Mm, I love this. It leads me to ask, I guess, I don't mean for this to be comical, but it goes, does it go from Sunday scaries to maybe Saturday scaries knowing that you planned on Friday? Like, was that anything that you came across in your research? Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think if you end, like if we're talking about a Monday through Friday sort of work week, and I recognize that people work 
all sorts of different times. You know, by planning on Friday, what you're going to do on Monday, you have this break in the middle where you can, you know, more likely not think about work the whole time if you don't want to. And I understand people doing side hustles, people who are entrepreneurial. It's not always the same Monday through Friday sort of thing. But I do think there's some, you know, benefit to taking some amount of time off work. I, I think the idea of having maybe 24 hours where you don't think about work is, is kind of a, a good goal. You know, it doesn't always work, but having that break for a little bit is often good. So I don't know if they, you know, necessarily moves the scaries to, to a different <laughs> point. I like to think that having a good plan can calm a lot of anxiety. Absolutely. Now, when you say planning, you're not necessarily just talking about a to-do list. You're talking about an actionable plan for that to-do list. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you don't know when you're going to do stuff, like it's kind of having it, it's really hard to sort of rationally organize your week. If you haven't mm -hmm. thought through first, like what you need to do, but then how much time do these things take? Right. And right. where can you do them? Because if you, you know, are telling yourself you need to do something that takes, I don't know, five consecutive hours and you don't have a slot of five consecutive hours in your week, like it's not going to happen. Happen. This, is, this is not rocket science. It's a pretty simple math equation, but you know, people do that. That's a bad plan, right? right? So you need to figure out what's important over the next week, figure out how much time those things will take, put that time into your schedule, see where that space is or create that space if you, you don't already have it. And then you have something that's much more actionable. But you know, if like people will assign themselves you know, more things for a day that can actually fit in a day. And that, that just, it doesn't work. Like, it's not that you were lazy. It's not that, you know, anything else. It's just, you know, physics, like it doesn't right. fit. Now I'm curious, I believe I saw this on the book sleeve. It mentioned that this is less about time management and more about living a more intentional life. What are the differences between the two, if any? They're both very related and I don't mind the time management label. I mean, a lot of times people say, well, you can't manage your time. You can only manage yourself. I'm like, well, okay. But one of the ways I do that is through time. I mean, I had somebody else recently tell me that time was a total construct. And I was like, well, you know, that may be true, but it's a pretty useful construct. I mean, like <laughs> if I've agreed to meet somebody at 3 PM and he's agreed to meet me too, like we both show up at 3 PM. That was a wonderful construct that we both used to our advantage. <laughs> so it's right. like, I mean, you know, we have to live in the world as it is. Right. So I'm perfectly fine. I was saying that we are going to manage our time because I think it does allow us to achieve a better life, right? Like our lives are lived in hours. And so what we allocate those hours to is then reflected in what our lives look like. If mm -hmm. I you know, want to be healthy, I need to allocate enough hours to sleep and to physical activity and to you know, preparing or procuring healthy meals. If I want to have a good relationship with my family members, I need to spend some amount of time with them and you know, doing things that are pleasant and not just you know, things that have to get done. If I want to make progress in my career, if I want to write a book, like I have to put the time into doing it. And so you know, it's, I'm managing my time to make that occur. So you know, these things, things are very close. Entwined. I'm sure. Now, this is always, I, I have to ask this question. I mean, it, it's hard, I guess, per se, but what do you feel like is the most foundational, foundational rule in the book? So I put them in the order that I did for a reason. Okay. The, so the rules, there are nine rules. And the first one is to give yourself a bedtime. Mm. And this is not complicated. It's not like, whoa, never would have thought that would have been a rule. It's very simple, but it's actually doing it can be life changing because many people are walking around either 
sleep deprived on some days and then, you know, crashing and making it up on other days, which makes it hard to maintain good routines. We're so much better off if we get the amount of sleep we need every single night. And since many adults have to be up at least during the week at set times for work or family responsibilities, the variable you can move is the time you go to bed. And I find that, you know, people do this incredibly mindlessly. Like, you know, there's an amount of sleep you need. There is a time you need to wake up. And yet the time they go to bed does not reflect these two numbers, right? It's just math. So if you have to wake up at 6 a.m. for work and you need eight hours of sleep, then you need to be in bed at 10. Like that's not a statement of what kind of person you are or anything else. It's just a math problem. And so Figure out what that time is, your bedtime. Count down a little bit before, set an alarm for like 30 minutes before you need to be in bed so you can start winding down. Make sure you're off your screens, you've brushed your teeth, you've locked your doors, whatever it is you have to do so you're not remembering that at 10 p.m. and then pushing your bedtime back to 10.30 because you didn't do all that. But, you know, start winding down so you can be in your bed at 10 and turn your lights off and hopefully that will, you know, have you waking well rested at 6 a.m. And again, it sounds so simple. Like, you know, everybody knows you should get enough sleep. But when people actually did it as part of my Tranquility by Tuesday project, had 150 people try out these nine rules for nine weeks, their energy levels rose significantly. Mm. The proportion of people who said they were getting enough sleep to feel well-rested and to handle their responsibilities rose significantly. I mean, you know, people spend all kinds of, you know, effort trying to raise their energy levels and be more productive and be in a better mood. And I'm like, well, here we have one. That is free. <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> but if you do it consistently, it does in fact work. That's so interesting. Were there was there any research throughout this practice in regards to maintaining that energy level throughout the day from a dietary perspective or anything? Because I've definitely been one to have a bedtime, follow that for a certain amount of time, but then next thing you know, at lunchtime when I eat two slices of pizza, being that I'm in New York City, blood sugar spikes or whatever is spiking, and then all of a sudden I'm in a food coma. Yeah. Right. So. Well, I, I'm not a nutritionist, so I wasn't trying to measure people's diets or anything. I think, you know, it is important to to take care of yourself. And I definitely hope people would put the time into making that happen. But one of the other rules was getting at that midday energy issue. Rule number three is to move by 3 p.m. And what this is every single day, do 10 minutes of physical activity in the first half of the day. The easiest thing to do is probably just to walk around, but you know, you can do whatever you want. But the idea is just to force yourself to get up and move for just a little bit in the first half of every single day. And by 3 p.m. is because if you haven't done it by 3 p.m., 3 p.m. is a really good time to get up and take a walk. Because for many people, that is when their energy hits its low point, at least sort of during working hours. And so normally people might reach for candy bars or other food that is going to, you know, cause the, the crash or coffee or cigarettes or other things that are, you know, maybe boost your energy for a tiny bit of time, but you crash afterwards or feel other, you know, health problems that result. Go for a walk instead, right? Go for a 10 minute walk at 3 p.m. to fill the, you know, fulfill this rule because Laura said it was a good idea. But inevitably, when people come back, they feel 10 times better, right? They have enough energy to finish the workday out strong. They are in a better mood. Any sort of problem that seemed intractable or when they went for their walk is suddenly not quite so bad. Uh, you know, again, people spend a ton of effort and money trying to make themselves happier and more energetic. Going for a 10 minute walk will do it reliably, costs nothing, has no side effects. So I'm just asking people to try it out. Try it out every single day. Report back to me. I am willing to bet 
you're going to feel better because certainly the 150 people in my project did. I love that. So the bedtime is the foundational piece. I understand that it leads to better efforts on your or in your morning routine and whatnot, but it leads me to ask this. And I mean, a person that suffers from this quote unquote suffers is a very loose term that I'm using. How do you not go so grandiose? Right. And I don't know if it's a millennial thing, just like always wanting to hit the home run where you're like, all right, I'm committing to this today. I'm going to be in bed by 10 p.m. I'm going to wake up by 5 a.m. I'm going to run 10 miles, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> like, how do you not go so grandiose and start small? Well, I really do think that we don't want to make the perfect the enemy of the good. And the problem with aiming too big is that you won't sustain it. Mm -hmm. Like sustainability and intensity are kind of opposite words. In order to make something sustainable, it can't be that intense because intense implies sort of these spikes then inevitably lead to not being intense at, at other moments. So for something to be sustainable, it, you need to feel very little resistance to it. And so if you are sitting there saying, oh, I'm gonna push hard and do it, you know, like, okay, you will for two days. And then what's gonna happen? Well, you may even do it for longer, but something will come up in life that will throw you off track for a while. And it'll be that much harder to get back on track. You know, you want to run 10 miles in the morning. What are you going to do when you have the flu? <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Well, you're right. probably not running 10 miles, but then when you recover, are you going to put go right back into your 10 miles? Well, you know, people find it very hard to start back up again. Whereas if your goal is 10 minutes of physical activity a day, like you might even be able to do that with the flu, right? Like you right. may be able to walk slow laps around your house, you know, just to move at some point. And so something like that is sustainable. And in terms of like, habits and routines, one of the rules, rule number four, is that three times a week is a habit. Mm. And I think for many people, aiming to do something three times a week is going to be more sustainable than aiming to do it daily, right? So, you know, if, if you want to go to the gym, like that would be awesome if you can do it every single day, but most people can't, like they have work, they have family, they have other things, they're building their side hustles. Like, you know, it, there's going to be a day where it's not going to work. And are you going to then feel terrible about yourself because you didn't go to the gym that day? Well, that's not a very productive way of building exercise into your life. But if you say, can I choose three times in the week to get to the gym? And where approximately do I think those things can happen? Well, three times you might be able to stick with, right? That's, but it's still frequently, like you're still a frequent gym goer. I can tell you, you know, if you look at gym data, like the proportion of people who go at least three times a week, it's small. <laughs> like that's the regular people. Yeah, or you know, want to eat family meals. It's not gonna happen maybe at 6 p.m. every night because you know, you've got job stuff, you've got the kids have activities, but could you find three family meals in the course of the week? And if you could, well, great. That means that you are a family that eats together. You can have these things be part of your identity at three times a week. And I think aiming for three times a week allows us to build these sustainable habits. So now when I think habit, I think daily. How is three times a week a habit? Like what's the science behind that? Well, I wouldn't say that there's any particular science, but I would challenge your notion that for something to happen daily, that something to be a habit needs to happen daily. I have found that even many people who tell me about their daily habits, this is like an occupational hazard of writing about time management. Lots of people want to tell me about their great daily habits. And I ask a few questions and it turns out that they do it Monday through Friday. Mm. They don't do it Saturday or Sunday. So that right there is five yeah. times a week, right? We're not, at, we're not at daily. We're at five times a week. And, you know, often Friday doesn't wind up in the daily habit for some reason or another, right? Like somebody who went to the gym Monday through Thursday after work would probably tell you they go to the gym daily. They don't. They go four times a week. Right. Mm. And so, you know, very few people do something absolutely daily, maybe stuff like brushing your teeth. You know, we do that pretty much every day. But even a lot of these things that people claim to be daily habits, they often aren't. And so we're still talking like some number of times a week. I think that three is relatively frequent. 
right? You know, it's uh, three, four, you, you can choose either. But, you know, if somebody's only doing something once or twice a week, it's probably easier to get to three than to get to five. So let's start with three. You want to get to five? Great. But if we start with three, it will feel like a regular part of your life. And that's really what we're getting at. See, I appreciate that mindset, which is why I asked that question, because I, I think it's just like the societal norm from like what you read in personal development books and what you see on TikTok and Instagram and wherever else on YouTube, where it's like a habit is something you do every single day. And if you miss that day, you're not successful. So I appreciate this perspective and this mindset because that alleviates the pressure to do it every day. And although it's great to have the discipline to be able to do something every day, I think having less pressure allows you to flow into these things versus force. And I think that alone, like removing that friction allows someone to perform better. Do you agree? Yeah. And I mean, I love the idea of streaks. I've done different streaks in my life. Yeah. I, you know, I ran every day for like three years. It was, you know, it was interesting. That's insane. I, I enjoyed the, I 900 enjoyed the plus streak. days. Uh, yeah, it was 1100 days, I think. Yeah, oh, so wow. That's insane. I love that. But inevitably, something's going to happen that you know, you're not going to be able to one day. And, and, and what it, what happens with that is people feel like terrified of losing the streak. Whereas I think, you know, if you say like, I'm going to do something three times a week or, you know, I'm, I'm it's it just, it's, it's more sustainable long-term than, you know, what often happens is somebody aims for daily. For some reason, it can't happen one day right. and then they feel like a failure. And when you feel like a failure, it is not very motivational to keep going. Exactly. That's why I asked the question earlier in regards to when the train falls off the tracks, because what I see from our community here and even my, myself, I mean, I'm, I'm a spitting image of this. Like when you go grandiose, like you said, it's very intense and like you might go seven days and then you'll fall back down. You don't want to or when I say you, me, I don't want to pick the train back up and, and go again. Like, you know, it might take like three or four days for me to like sulk in that and then get back on the bandwagon, mm -hmm. you know, but I think you have a very practical way of deploying this over a sustainable amount of time versus just like, you know, you're good for a week and then you're off. And yeah. that that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, I always like sustainability. That's, that's yeah. how we make progress. I'm curious if someone picks up this book, and this is potentially a challenging question because there's just so much in here. I have, like I said, a million and one questions about it. Someone picks up this book, but they can only take one thing away from it. What would you want that one thing to be? Well, let's see. I mean, of the rules, one that's kind of been broadly helpful for people is to do effortful fun before effortless fun. And this okay. is rule number nine. That's the last rule in the book. But the idea is that even incredibly busy people generally have some amount of leisure time. Mm -hmm. The problem is that often this leisure time is either short in duration, it is unexpected, like low energy time. So at night after you put the kids to bed or after you finished work or finished your chores or, you know, done your side hustle stuff, like you're tired. Right. And you have leisure time, but it's not like you're going to do amazing things with it necessarily. The easiest thing to do, of course, is to go on our screens. Like you can be on Twitter for two minutes. You can be on Twitter for 20 minutes. You know, Netflix, you don't have to get a babysitter. You don't have to plan ahead. You can just turn it on. It's all good. <laughs> Whereas, you know, other forms of fun that they require a bit more effort, right? They're things like reading, hobbies, connecting with a friend. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with the effortless type, the, the screen time. The problem is because it is so effortless, it winds up consuming the bulk of our leisure time, even mm -hmm. if in the abstract we would prefer to do some of these other things, right? To have a little bit more time devoted to reading or hobbies or friends. And so this rule to do effortful before effortless fun is to challenge yourself when a spot of leisure time appears, do at least a few minutes of effortful fun before you do the effortless variety. Mm -hmm. So if you know you got five minutes before a phone call starts, you're picking up your phone, read an ebook for two minutes before you go to Twitter. At night, you've you know finished your chores, do a puzzle for 10 minutes before you turn on Netflix. And 
one of two things will happen. Either you'll get so into your effortful fun, you'll just keep going. Like you'll keep doing your puzzle and that would be fine. Or otherwise you at least get to do both, right? Like you get to do both kinds of fun and that can dramatically increase the volume of this effortful fun that happens in your life. And that tends to feel more rewarding. It actually feels more rejuvenating than the passive screen time. So in the course of the Tranquility by Tuesday project, I would ask people how much they agreed with various statements, you know, on the uh, one to seven point scale, one is strongly disagree, seven is strongly agree. So one of the statements was yesterday, I didn't waste time on things that did, weren't important to me. All right. So mm-hmm. that statement there, the agreement scores on that rose 32% after people learned this rule, right? To do this effortful fun before effortless fun that they were doing a little bit of reading before screen time. They felt like they were wasting so much less time. And this is, you know, busy people like in lives that didn't suggest a whole lot of wasted time in the first place, but even they were wasting a lot less time. And so I think your listeners might find this helpful for them too, you know, challenging themselves to do just a couple minutes of the effortful fun before the effortless variety. And the way you approach your leisure time will, will just change. That's all. Awesome. So essentially what that study showed was specific to this rule was that putting, for instance, reading, I love reading, but I don't want to read every day, right? It's a lot, like you said, it's a lot easier to just pick up the phone. So putting the reading first allowed those people in the study to feel like they weren't wasting their time. And the thing is, I'm not saying you have to give up the scrolling. I'm just saying, do something else first. Like you want to read for two minutes and then you can go scroll all you want, right? And do it guilt-free. Like you don't even feel need to feel bad about it. Like you, you did your effortful fun already. So you're good. But you know, it, it just, by having that slight flipping of the automatic order there, it, it changed how people felt about their free time. That's interesting. So you could almost use it as a reward per se. Sure. But you know, often, I mean, it's, it's more about nudging yourself to make a slightly different choice because effortful mm. fun is still fun. Like people yeah. actually do generally enjoy reading. They generally enjoy calling a friend. They generally enjoy doing hobbies. It's more just like overcoming that slight effort barrier that has you picking up your phone instead of doing a puzzle, right? That, you know, just overcome that slight barrier. And then once you're doing the puzzle, you often find that it's more enjoyable than, you know, being on Twitter and, you know, having two people insulting each other and you keep following this <laughs> conversation for, for unknown reasons. I'm curious, what do you do personally to help you get over that little hump or that, you know, that slight feeling like you don't want to do it. It is always a work in progress. I will totally admit that I um, am, you know, not perfect about this. But I think we talked about earlier, like you want to make sure that you're not feeling a whole lot of resistance to something. Mm -hmm. And I think by saying it's only a couple minutes, that lowers the resistance a lot. It's like, like I am allowed to be on Twitter all night if I want, but I'm just going to read for three minutes first. And then it's rarely just three minutes because if I've chosen a good book, like I want to see what happens, right? (laughs) You know, just keep going, you know, see what happens. But then, you know, when I do my up over Twitter, it's fine. Like it wasn't the only thing I did. And so I think by having it be just a couple minutes, you can get that resistance down to down pretty close to zero. So you just reinforced something that I learned, I want to say about a month ago, although I didn't read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, I ended up joining an accountability group for habits, which I, I really needed to shift what I was doing, needed to build out morning routine and all of that. And one thing that I learned in the accountability group is exactly what you just said. Just do something for two minutes and you'll find yourself wanting to do it a little bit longer. And if not, you did it and you could be happy with that. And I think that's a great mindset to adopt too. So I definitely appreciate you sharing that. But out of total curiosity, being that I know you're doing a whole bunch of podcasting right now, what's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? Yeah, I'm answering a, a lot of questions about everything. I'm sure. like talking about the process of doing the project itself, you know, that it, I write self-help for busy people. So I want to make sure that the rules I am suggesting work. And so that's, 
honestly, a part of this project that I think was most interesting to me is that, you know, I did have these people try them out in their lives mm. that each week they would learn a new rule and they would answer questions about how they plan to use it and answer questions a week later about how it went. And, you know, I honestly writing the book was almost easy at the end of this because people were answering questions, giving me these quotes that were really easy, you know, I could put into the book, right? Like, I'll talk about the challenges you will probably face if you were going to try this rule, because here's what, you know, these all these people said, right? Like, here's the challenges they faced, and here's what they did to overcome it. And so a lot of the book just kind of felt like it was writing itself by, by the time I got to that point. That's a beautiful thing. I'm really curious, because I, I worked with Damon John of Shark Tank, and I helped him launch one of his books. And I mean, I'm fascinated by how people adapt their lives. And I say lives, because I mean, sometimes work is life to an extent. I'm just curious to learn how you adapted when this project came about, right? Because there's, I'm sure, family involved, obviously, personal leisure time, business, et cetera, et cetera. What did that adaptation look like where you were now fitting this into your calendar? Well, it's always a an extra thing, but, you know, I probably do less of other things. You know, it's writing and creating content in general is my full-time job. I write books, I do podcasts, I speak professionally. Those are my three main gigs. And so right. all of it is about creating content that I put out into the world. So probably the balance just shifted a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, while I was actively writing this, I would, you know, do the podcast in other periods of time or, you know, it's I always have something that I'm working on right now. I'm doing all these interviews about the book and, and promoting it and things like that. But, you know, who knows? Maybe in another few months, it'll be another big project that I've decided to, to take on. So I kind of think of my time in, in the three buckets, in the, the writing, the podcasting, the speaking and, you know, writing this book took over the writing bucket for mm. much of the writing time, but then something else will come in for that later. Well, pertaining to your, uh, your writing, I'm curious what the most successful people do before breakfast. What do they do before breakfast? It's <laughs> a good question, isn't it? Yeah. It turns out people like to click on that title. It, it, it was a good that is for a getting great title. It was a great title. So what do they do? Well, they mornings are just a really good time for anything that is important to you. But life has a way of crowding out. So, you know, for mm. people who manage a lot of people at work or have family members that they're responsible for, like everybody needs something from you over the course of the day and various emergencies come up and you're constantly dealing with those. So it can be hard to build in time for your own priorities. But there turn out to be a lot fewer emergencies at 5.30 a.m. versus 5.30 p.m. So if you have something you want to tend to, 5.30 a.m. might be a good time for it. This is a good time for exercise. You know, lots of people who exercise in the morning find it easier to sort of build into their routine. They've done it and it can't not happen. But if you have maybe creative aspirations, like this could be a good time for it. Or, or you know, maybe your side hustle. Like you keep saying you want to put more time into your business, but you're tired after your day job. Maybe you want to get up early and put your best self, you know, your morning self into the side hustle. And then you will still get through your job because you're a responsible person, but at least you have put the effort into this thing you didn't have to do first. It could be a good time for, yeah, creative pursuits, spiritual pursuits, you know, anything along those lines that doesn't have to happen, but you want it to happen. I love that. So is there an ideal morning routine from what you found? I think the ideal morning routine is whatever makes you excited to get up and do it. Okay. It should really be about pleasure. I, you know, there's when people have these ideas of like long morning routines that are, you know, really tough and difficult. I mean, maybe you'll do it, but eventually your bed is going to seem a lot more attractive than some sort of punishment in the in the morning. Like you want to be great if you can feel like a kid on Christmas morning, right? Like no kid is like, <laughs> oh, I don't want to get up on Christmas morning. They're like, oh, I'm so excited. And so if you have a morning routine, that's something you genuinely enjoy that can nudge you to to get out of bed. I tend 
to, you know, suggest people think more in terms of like bite-sized morning routines. Mm. And it might even help to think of it more as a checklist than a routine. Like if it has to happen at a certain time of day, like the exact same moment, it might be hard to stick with for all the reasons we talked about earlier. Like, oh, I have to do this at 6 a.m. Well, what if you're on a plane at 6 a.m., right? Or what if you have an early meeting? Or what if, you know, you've got a kid who's up sick early and you got to deal with that? You know, it's like life can intervene. It might be more helpful to say in the course of the morning, I plan to do, you know, a hundred jumping jacks and read five pages in a book, mm. right? That would be, you know, a morning routine. Get some exercise. You get a little bit of mental nourishment in there and just make sure that you've done it at some point in the morning. Like that's the sort of thing that you could stick with. And it doesn't even have to be the same thing day to day. You can mix and match your morning routine. Like three mornings a week, you do these two things and two mornings a week, you do these two things and two other mornings a week, you do these other two things, right? That would get you to seven, but it would look a little bit different every day. You can incorporate pieces of all sorts of stuff. I love that. And even switching it up, that might bring some excitement too. Right. Yeah. And at least help people find out what it is that does light them up. And maybe some days it's different. I actually yeah. really like that. That's it super refreshing. I want to let everyone know whether you're watching on YouTube or listening Tranquility by Tuesdays in the show notes of this episode. Before I ask you one last question, do you have anything else going on that we should make people aware of outside of the book? Well, I have a couple of podcasts if folks want to listen to that. One is called Before Breakfast, and it is a short every weekday morning show where I share a tip that can hopefully help mm. take listeners' days from great to awesome. So five minutes. You can listen while you're making your coffee, while you're getting dressed. It's over, it's done, but hopefully something useful. And then I also have a podcast called Best of Both Worlds that I co-host with my friend, Sarah Hart Unger. She is a practicing physician, mom of three. We talk about issues of work and family from the perspective of people who truly enjoy both. So, you know, we've got a really great listenership of, of people who, you know, don't see these two things at odds. They want to win at work. They want to win at home and they're going to do both. I love that. Now I'm going to ask you one last question. This is kind of our dun 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 moment. <laughs> Not necessarily, but I'm curious, like you're, you're writing all of these books, you're traveling, you're speaking, you're, you're doing incredible work. And I genuinely mean that. If you could only be remembered for one piece of advice, what would that one piece of advice be? Well, I always say that my mission is to help people spend more time on things that matter and mm. less time on things that don't. And, you know, there's different ways of getting at that, but that we should, you know, fill our lives first with the things that we want to put there, right? So to be clear on what you want, make sure those things go in your life and then everything else will fill in around it. But if we mm. keep that perspective, then life just feels entirely different than if you're constantly trying to catch up and give the scraps of time to whatever you think matters. I love that. Laura, thank you so much for this opportunity. Again, Tranquility by Tuesday is in the show notes. I will also put the podcast in there. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You've just listened to the Decoding Success podcast featuring our friend Laura Vanderkam. Now, if you're rocking with me still up until this point, I have to urge you to make sure that you're sharing this episode. There's a reason you made it to this point. You're still hearing my voice. It's because that you found this to be of value. So make sure that you're sharing it, even if it's on social media, whether it's with your text message, group chats, or wherever. However, we want to make sure that you're sharing this episode so other people can feel the impact you just felt with all of the incredible tidbits from Laura. With that said, you could check her out in the show notes of this episode, websites, socials, all of that good stuff, where you can get her book will be in the show notes of this episode. Again, make sure that you're sharing this episode. If you haven't left the rating and review for the podcast on Apple or Spotify, make sure you're doing so. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.